The information on this podcast is for educational purposes only and does not contain or constitute and should not be interpreted as any form of medical advice or opinion. You should always seek the advice of your healthcare provider about any questions or concerns that you may have. Welcome back to the Building Healthier Relationships podcast. On this show, we interview mental health professionals about abusive, toxic and healthy relationships. It is our hope that these interviews help you cultivate safe relationships. Such that when they withdraw it, you feel insecure. Then you know that the person you've got to work with is you. You know that you've been love bombed. Yeah, so I think love bombing can be very addictive and can be very much like a drug. So you've got to be careful and if you know that you you're finding that you're attached to that then you've got to work on you. Hello everyone. My name is Juliana Aiken. I'm the host of Building Healthier Relationships podcast and a co-founder of Unfiltered. Today I'm interviewing Dr. Daksha Hirani. She's a clinical psychologist specializing in trauma-informed psychotherapy and narcissistic abuse recovery. Daksha has over 25 years experience of working with adult mental health and trauma. She feels passionately about helping victims of narcissistic abuse and this has been the focus of her work for the past seven years. Do you want to know the difference between healthy and narcissistic relationships? Do you want to know the best way that you can reject a narcissist? Do you want to learn more about love bombing? Are you wondering how you can tell if a narcissist is love bombing you? Do you want to know the difference between a fiery connection with an emotionally safe person and the love bombing phase with a narcissist? Do you want to learn about some boundaries that you can set with yourself to protect yourself from love bombing? Do you want to know how love bombing affects your perception on healthy relationships? If you answered yes to any of these questions, then this episode is for you because Dr. Daksha Hirani will be discussing these topics in our show today. Hi Daksha, thank you for joining me today. It's nice to have you in this podcast episode. You're welcome and thank you for inviting me again. It's nice to have you here again and uh, today we have many questions and the first one is... What are the biggest what are the biggest differences between healthy relationships and narcissistic relationships? The, I would say that uh, the answer for this is actually within each and every one of us. We just have to go within and to see and in our gut how do we feel around this person. Now, uh, in a healthy relationship there will be no sense of one or the other party feeling controlled. Control is a big thing in narcissism, in whatever shape or form. Uh, financial control, emotional control, spiritual control, uh, physical control, any shape or form. If you feel that actually in your relationship, you feel you're on an equal standing with that other person in terms of all of these abilities to communicate your needs, then you'll know that actually you are not feeling controlled. You're not being uh, submissive to something and not really being able to voice your voice. So, for example, in a healthy relationship, if you 
are upset about something or if you are there's something in the relationship that doesn't quite feel right and you feel like there's an imbalance or your needs are not being met if you were to raise this in a healthy relationship the partner is going to take time listen to you take it into consideration they don't have to agree with you but you get a sense that you're being heard and that they take the time to consider it and then they bring their point of view forward and the two of you can have a toing and froing until you get both of your needs met or both of you able to compromise in some shape or form what i have found with people who are in narcissistically abusive relationships is that the aggressor the, the narcissist always tends to get their way it's not always through aggression it's not always through brute force i knew a narcissist who used to uh, sort of boast oh you know daksha i can get my way and i never have to lift a finger to anybody and he knew he could get his way because he just has to manipulate other people and use other people's fears against them to get his way so very coercively controlling or he would manipulate or he would cry doesn't matter what he did he always got his way so if you're in a relationship where you find that hang on a minute i know i'm unhappy but this other person always gets their way and you might excuse it away you might say yeah but you know that makes sense that makes sense intellectually you might get a sense that that person has won the argument and therefore you've let go but in your heart in your gut you will get a sense that i'm still not happy there's something i'm still anxious i'm still upset i'm still feeling depressed i'm about low mood and then you know that that is not a healthy relationship a healthy relationship is where both of you are vibrant you are able to go out you know your mental health is great because each of you are pumping each other up you're raising each other up whereas in a narcissistically abusive relationship you find that one of the other person is always better off than the other always once in a while it's fine all of us go through ups and downs in life none of us are expected to have fantastic mental health all the time but it's knowing that you are actually being heard i don't know if that makes sense yeah it does your question raised few follow up questions absolutely uh, yeah so you mentioned that in a healthy relationship there is this that you are equal with your partner right but is that is that possible in relationships that it's always 50/50 equal or like or can it be something like that it's not completely equal but it's still healthy because if someone the other person is for example more dominant than the other one or can you like i don't know like can you maybe talk a little bit more about this absolutely you know when people say 50/50 they think immediately i'm talking about financial i'm not uh i'm talking about interdependency 50/50 in being interdependent on each other so you know as human beings we're not we're not able to live on our own we don't have hides you know we don't have fangs you know in the wild we would be just cut to shreds we can only survive if we are group in a group we are pack animals we are a herd animal So when you're together you know we all need to have human interaction 
So it doesn't mean that, you know, I'll give this much and this person is going to give me that much. It's not transactional. There's a very big difference. Narcissists tend to be transactional. But by 50-50, I mean an equal relationship in terms of being able to be interdependent on each other so that you can rely on that other person. You can rely on your partner. And for the time duration that you're relying on that partner because you're in a space where you need that support, they're able to give it unconditionally without expecting anything back in return. But likewise, if you were to turn the tables around, when that person is in need, you are also able to step up and give to that person in the same way. So Mm. you're able to actually help each other. You're able to depend on each other interdependently, not codependently. Right? So when you're codependent, uh, it's about... Not how visually it looks. It's perfectly okay for uh, a partner to be either whether it's a male or a female or non-binary, doesn't matter. It's perfectly okay for one partner to say, right, I've got uh, more capacity to earn. Mm -hmm. So I will provide the finances for this uh, family. And you will provide whatever it is, management of the household, doing uh, raising of the children. There's nothing wrong in that. Mm. I'm not saying 50-50 in that, but in the sense that you, they're both able to be interdependent. So that without the other, the other person is not left completely um, without security. I come across so many relationships where some uh, people are narcissistically abusive, where one of the partner is the one who provides everything financially so that the other partner is completely dependent on them financially. The narcissistically abusive relationship, the unhealthy relationship is such that the partner does not recognize the inequality and actually gains from it and doesn't put any steps in place for that other person to be in the present, not at the time of possibly divorcing or separating, at the time put in place financial security for that other partner. Now that's mm-hmm. it. You know, wow, this is a healthy relationship where this other person is choosing to be with this person, not because they need, not because they're codependent on the finances. If they chose, they could leave with that money or with the security, but they're not. They want to, they're choosing that person. Whereas uh, in an unhealthy relationship, you get codependencies showing up because one partner is. Um, I would say has deep, deep insecurities, which we know narcissists have. So they will make sure that over time, if not immediately, they will put themselves in a situation where somehow or the other, they have the upper hand. Okay. In the beginning of answering this question, you mentioned that uh, in a healthy relationship, you can raise your concerns and you can talk to the other person and the other person doesn't have to agree, but they you feel heard and they consider what you have said. So how do you, what came to my mind was like, well, what if I am a person who needs a lot of reassurance? Let's say I have a anxious attachment style or or I have some unresolved issues. I've been betrayed many times in the past or I feel like that and I'm like very insecure person. I need a lot of reassurance. 
And if we think then the other partner who is not insecure, they do not need reassurance. And from time to time, they might actually act in a way that they don't kind of validate your concerns because they might be like get exhausted and tired about it, you know, because it's like all the time they like get tired of reassuring you. Like they're like, why can't you just understand that I am with you and I, or they, or maybe they don't even say that, but that's what they think. That's why this person just doesn't understand that. How do you differentiate? Like, how can you be like, okay, this relationship is unhealthy or, or, and, and not think like, or maybe I'm just this insecure person who has some, you know, attach attachment issues or unresolved trauma or like, how, how would you help? Here's the thing, you know, in any given relationship, if you are the one who is seeking that reassurance constantly, the responsibility for that uh, sense of reassurance does not fall on the partner. It falls on the person who is lacking that insecurity. The partner is and can choose to give reassurance as much as he or she or they are able to give, but not at the expense of themselves. So it is up to each one of them to say, well, actually I choose to be with this person, even though they're insecure because they give me X, Y, Z in return. There'll be other needs that that other person might be interdependent on where this person is able to give. So there are, there's a give and take. It's not all just one-sided. But if this other person, if the person who is healthily attached chooses to say, well, actually, you know what? This is too much for me. I'm going to leave. That's okay. They're entitled to leave because none of us can actually make somebody else happy or secure Truly, even as a clinical psychologist, I would love to wave a magic wand to say, right, you know, I can fix this. But the reality is, the metaphysical reality is, none of us can walk somebody else's path. Each one of us has to walk our own path and therefore each one of us has to bear and take responsibility for our own growth and our own journey to being more secure. For example, seeking therapy or whatever it is. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. It made me also think I once had a talk with one uh, one person who, like, I, I can't, like, identify. Was it a narcissistic relationship or what? But there was some unhealthy, or at least it sounded like that there was some unhealthy dynamics in there. And she was like concerned. She was like, well, but I have never been insecure before. But now with this person, I am. But I don't know if it's because I'm in, in love for the first time and I feel vulnerable and that's why I'm insecure. Or is it that I am being like, I am with a narcissistic person? Like how, this could you maybe talk about a little bit about this as well? Yeah, so there, you know, you pointed it in the right direction. This is nothing to do with that other person. It's to do with the, the person that you're talking about within them, mm. right? The key here is for them to know that they are insecure and to say, well, what is it about them that is insecure? You know, what are they seeking from 
the partner. Is it reasonable? If it's not reasonable, they can step away. Because the moment they step away, the moment they stop to seek that reassurance, if it is a narcissistically abusive relationship, the narcissist will lose interest because they have nothing on that person. Remember, we spoke about crap in our last uh, podcast. Mm -hmm. I was saying people are going to go. Narcissists will go for your fear of criticism, rejection, abandonment, punishment. And if there is none of that that they can target, they will lose interest because they don't get narcissistic supply. Whereas if it is a person where you're saying, this is a healthy relationship, but I am anxiously attached and I've become vulnerable and therefore I've got this uh, anxious uh, attachment style or anxious avoidant attachment style and I might be pushing this person away. Well, you will know because when you start to improve, the other person finds that you're actually becoming stronger in the relationship rather than the relationship breaking apart. Mm, that That is so creative. So for anyone who is like wondering, then if you just start to improve yourself and is, if as a result the relationship gets better, your communication and connection gets better with the person you are with, then it's a, like a good, good sign. Absolutely. Absolutely. Great. Uh, then... What do you think, what's the best way to reject a narcissist? And this person in this question is saying that I don't want to become the subject of stalking just because I want to set a boundary. So what would be the best way to reject a narcissist? I would say um, it depends on which kind of situation you're talking about. But regardless, the blanket rule is no contact is to have, you know, not to fear. Some people would say, yeah, but if I don't give the narcissist some little bit of thing, you know, they're going to do X, Y, Z. That is what they do. They play on your fears. So if you just go no contact, you know, take them out of all your social media, block their number, block everything and anything so that they have zero way of contacting you. Now, if they don't respect that, you may have to get involved the police. You might have to make sure that you they know that you have zero interest in them. And then more importantly, don't make your life about this thing. Make your life about who you want to be with your friends. Go out, have fun. Be the person that you want to be without feeling that you have to placate this person. So no contact, I would say, is the very best thing that you can do. Uh, move away and you know people say I want to get back at this narcissist who did this 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 to me I would say don't bother you're still then making your life about that person the best way to get back with the narcissist the best revenge is going to be you leading your life fully and happily and thriving and being so uh, vibrant in your life narcissists can't bear that I've had narcissists in my life who I knew were jealous of beautiful moments that I'd had or beautiful holidays that I had or uh, some quality that I had. But I was like, wow, did you see that I was so alive with something I see? And they see that joy and that happiness. And they're like, you can get a sense that they're not quite happy for you. And not only that, I've had those very same narcissists say to me, 
you know, I see you like this, but why have I never felt this? Why do I never feel or experience this joy? Rest assured, narcissists are not happy people. They might appear and put a facade of happiness, but it's not to say that narcissists can't experience happiness. They can if all their ducks in a row, all their ducks, they want, you know, this is right. If they are in, if they are 100% in control of everything around them and everybody in their lives, then they can be happy. But you know what? It's the environment that's doing that to them. So the one thing just has to go askew and they've lost it again. Mm. So it's, it's the best way to do, I would say, is to step away, lead your life, go and be vibrant in your own life. And you've got your revenge. You've got uh, your own life back. You live for yourself. Don't live for the narcissist or anybody else. Mm, great. Because I feel like no matter what boundaries you should try to set that would be, let's say, smaller than going just no contact, they probably will be crossed because yeah. they are still in your life some way that they are able to cross it. And if they truly are a narcissist, that's what they do. <laughs> they don't, <laughs> yeah, they, they don't like respect the boundaries. So it's kind of a little bit like, well, what's the point then trying to set them and take so much energy to try to maintain it when it gets repeatedly crossed? Yeah. Yeah, all you're doing is you're giving them narcissistic supply. Mm. Mm, yeah. Remember, narcissism is about control. And when you set a boundary, you're taking control. They do not like that. Yeah. Yeah. And that's a very good thing that you, you know, reminded people that at some point, like, don't hesitate with involving the police if it gets ugly. Yeah. And they, yeah. Uh, then what would you say that what is love bombing? in a romantic relationship? Love bombing is a term that has been used and coined. And I think a lot of the people understand what it means. But if you want to know whether you are being love bombed or to understand what love bombing is, essentially, is if somebody showers you with a ton of love that from the outside, it just looks a bit excessive. And it could be in the form of attention. It could be in the term of uh, financial stuff. It could be in the form of generosity. It could be in the form of giving you an excessive amount of time or compliments. Uh, I had a narcissistic uh, partner, an ex-partner, who when they met me, I was young. I was in my 20s. And... Uh, they would not stop calling me. And on one day, I got 23 phone calls in the space of three, four hours. Wow. You know, saying all the most wonderful things about me and to me and wishing me happy birthday and wanting my happiness and says, I really want you to be excited. And I, and I was young, I was naive. And I thought, oh my gosh, this person actually must really like me. Yeah. You know, but what I didn't realize is that actually, you know, there was a part of me that was saying, this is weird. <laughs> <laughs> this is really, really weird. But that part I did not listen to. Mm -hmm. Because who doesn't like this showering, right? Because as a 20-year-old, I was, you know, in my 20s, I was insecure. Yeah. And you love all of this. But now if somebody was to 
do the same thing to me, I would be like, this person needs to go get some help. I do not want anybody suffocating me like that. Yeah. And my current partner, who doesn't have a shred of narcissistic traits, has kept it slow. And, you know, it's just so dependable. There is no drama. It's just beautiful and joy and happiness. So it's about understanding that when people love bomb you, they'll be showering you with stuff. Uh, I got another uh, client who was taken up on a helicopter ride and, uh, you know, with this and that and taken, flown across the, in the space of just knowing them for about a week or even a few months. Wow, in- I, I wouldn't be yes. comfortable getting into a helicopter like after a exactly. week. <laughs> exactly. You know, this is the thing. Um, love bombing can be a bit like uh, a Cinderella story. Mm. And we've been all brought up with Cinderella stories. Very dangerous stories, if you ask me. Because we think that all of this bombing and, you know, that, that people just know you immediately... I would say you've got to take it slowly. So when you're love bombed with either compliments, it doesn't always have to be financial, like I said. It could be just a lot of attention. But something in there just feels off and is not right. Again, it's not about the narcissist. It's about you. You know, just think, is this feeling right? Mm. I hope that makes you understand what love bombing is. Yeah, it does. And... Then I have like two other questions that revolve around the concept of love bombing and they like you like a little bit touched on them already. But could you now say like very briefly that how can you tell if a narcissist is love bombing you? Like because I feel like some people they get uh, or some someone has said to me that, for example, people with PPD, borderline personality disorder, they could also, you know, love bomb. So how can you tell if a narcissist is love bombing you? So I would say it's it's actually irrelevant who is love bombing you, whether it's somebody who is a borderline personality disorder or narcissist. Actually, these terms, I would say, are quite unhelpful. We mm. use them because it's it's easier in terms of communication. So we have a sense of what we're speaking about and what we are referring to. But at the end of the day, a behavior is behavior, and it's better to look at somebody's behavior rather than somebody's diagnosis. Diagnoses are just literally psycho- uh, psychiatric terms yeah. that uh, in many would argue that um, so the male patriarchal world of psychiatrists has come up with because they don't understand all the nitty-gritty of human behavior. There's a lot of new evidence and research into going going into moving away from clinical diagnosis. So I would say, don't worry about thinking, oh, is it BPD? Is it narcissist? And then if it is from this, then it's okay. If it's from this, it's not okay. None of it is okay if it doesn't feel right, if something is off. So for example, if somebody is love bombing you and you want to say, well, how do I know? How do I tell? They will not be respecting you. You're not aware that you're not being respected. But the reality is they're not respecting you. So, for example, uh, you know, the person who contacted me 23 phone calls in the two, three hours, I was at work. You know, now the idea is if if they call once or twice, fine. But this is a bit too much. Yeah. You know, there is. And so you can actually say, well, hang on a minute. 
if you find that you are feeling wonderful, you're feeling, wow, this person must really, really love me, right? For them to love on me this way. If you feel like you have a complete addiction to this person by the end of it, right? Such that when they withdraw it, you feel insecure. Then you know that the person you've got to work with is you. You know that you've been love bombed. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, it does. Yeah, so I think love bombing can be very addictive and can be very much like a drug. So you've got mm. to be careful. And if you know that you you're finding that you're attached to that, then you've got to work on you. Yeah, yeah. Uh, then what would you say? What is the difference between someone having a fiery connection, passionate connection with an emotionally safe person and the love bombing phase with a narcissist? Because I think that this fiery connection and passionate connection with someone might feel quite addictive as well in some way. Or is would, could, can you talk about the differences if there is? Well... I, I, you know, this is, uh, you know, I feel like I'm going on about the same thing. But actually, <laughs> at the end of the day, you have got to listen to yourself. You've got to okay. listen, go within, listen to your gut, right? If it's, uh, you know, if you're in the this love bombing stage, or if it's uh, an ex, you know, a relationship where there's a lot of drama and so on as opposed to this fiery connection. Well, a fiery connection, all it is, it's a, in a relationship, people being able to just be brutally honest with each other without taking it personally. And any person is able to give as good as they get and they don't take it personally and they just move on. It's a bit of a personality trait. And it's not like they, they are hooked or they want that excitement or they crave that excitement. It's just who they are. They just communicate in that way. It's a personality thing. Mm. You know, they're not seeking drama because they want to feel alive because that, to me, would be unhealthy. Okay. Yeah. But in the case of uh, love bombing, the moment you put a boundary up, you realize that they don't respect it. So, for example, um, with the example that I was giving, when I put the boundary up to say, you know, do not call me at work. It took a while. It was like, how is it so difficult for this person to agree not to do that? Or indeed, uh, never turn up on time and be charming about the fact that they were never on time. You know, uh, giving exam, you know, sort of putting it up to the responsibility to their childhood, having been so disrupted that they were never taught how to keep time. It's never their responsibility. So when you start putting boundaries up in the love bombing stage and you want some time to yourself, if you want to say something that doesn't work for you, you want to know that they're actually respecting that. And if it's not respected, fiery connection or not, it is not right. Like Daksha said, setting a boundary in the love bombing stage and observing if that boundary is respected by the other person gives you important information that helps you determine whether or not it is safe to continue building that relationship. Not all love bombers are narcissists, so before turning someone down because they exhibit love bombing behavior might be something that you do not want to do either. 
In our article, How to Deal with a Love Bomber, we give you three examples of these boundaries that you can set with a love bomber. The article also contains other tips about what you can do in addition to boundary setting if you are dealing with a love bomber. The first example of the boundary that you can set with a love bomber is that you demand emotional closeness and mutuality. Love bombers can be really good at creating an environment that appears to be filled with emotional closeness and mutuality. The most common way they do this is by asking you a ton of questions. So if someone is asking you a lot of questions about your vulnerabilities, insecurities, goals and aspirations, fears and so on, you should demand that exchange of sensitive information be mutual if you do decide to share this information in the first place. As a general rule, someone who is capable of having a healthy relationship isn't going to have a problem with this. But someone who is an abuser might get offended by your request. They won't have any depth if they do decide to share about their life and they'll likely lie about their life to manipulate you even more. You can find the link to the article in the podcast notes if you want to learn more about the other two boundaries that you can set with a love bomber. But now let's get back to Daksha and ask her if she has more ideas of the boundaries that you can set with yourself to protect yourself against love bombing. Mm. Okay, thank you. This leads us very nicely to the next question, which is about what are some boundaries that you can set with yourself to protect yourself against love bombing. And you already mentioned mentioned that, that as soon as that happens and if the other person is not respecting it, then it's a red flag. So what are some of these boundaries that you can set with yourself to protect yourself against the love bombing? And for example, taking the relationship slowly, but is there anything else? Well, um, yes, just observe. Observe whilst you're taking the relationship slowly. I would say observe the other person's behavior. And it's helpful to judge people not only by the way they treat you, but also by the way they treat others. Especially if you're able to catch them without them watching you. Right? Without you watching them, I mean, mm. doesn't make sense. So, so for example, uh, I'll take the, the example of uh, going out for a meal with uh, somebody who has narcissistic traits. And they treat you beautifully. They treat the staff and everybody beautifully because you're there observing all of that. And I then once went into the bathroom. And as I was coming, the person who had the narcissistic traits didn't realize that I was watching. And they were treating uh, one of the staff in the most atrocious manner and speaking down on them. And there I was now. If I can see and I say, whoa, that is not, that is a red flag. There it is in plain for you to see. So if you're able to watch and observe, just be wise. Take it slow. Be appreciative of the attention that you're getting. There's nothing harm in, there's no harm in that. But then watch how they behave. But more importantly, watch how you feel within, in your heart, in your gut, Forget the heart. The heart can be all fluttery, you know, I love it. <laughs> Listen to your gut. The gut will say, well, hang on a minute. There's something I don't really feel right about this. And the best way to judge a person's character 
whether they are narcissistic or not, is how do they behave when all things don't work out and go their way? That's a really good one. So when you're in a relationship and uh, things don't go out their way, so for the, for example, the narcissistic relationship I had, I was once uh, pickpocketed and I was given the bag to carry, which had the narcissist's wallet, you know, my things. And I was at King's Cross, you know, um, station in central London. I was walking along and the narcissist's uh, wallet got pickpocketed. Mm. This was during the love bombing stage. And I have never seen a more rageful, nasty person in front of me. Wow. I mean, it just transformed. And you realize that the moment something goes wrong, they can't deal with it. They do not have control. And it was awful. And I was left feeling I'm the one to blame for all of this. And yet I was the victim here. Yeah. But afterwards, what you find is they come groveling back and they are apologetic and then they throw you flowers and they say, I'll make it up to you. And this is, you know, I was treated and I was, I behaved like this because of my childhood and I've been abused and all of that. And in my 20s, I'll be like, oh, poor that person. In my 50s, I'm like, <laughs> thank you very much, but bye-bye. <laughs> Is that, that makes me think of one term in narcissistic realm, and probably, I don't know, is it somewhere else too, but shame, rage, spiral. Have you heard of that? Can you explain yes. in this example that you just gave what shame, rage, spiral is and how, how it manifested in your example? Well, the thing is, if you think about, uh, it's not just narcissism, but primarily in narcissism, um, the rage that a narcissist feels is completely another level. And you can see it. It's like a, a bomb has just been fired off. And they are vengeful. They are vicious. I mean you can be guaranteed that the rageful narcissists will probably have very weak hearts by the end of it if they keep on going because they're, they, they're, this is really a lot of anger. But it's coming from this deep sense of insecurity and shame for who they are as people. They are carrying such a depth of shame of that sense of self because they know that their sense of self is so lacking, is so weak, is so inept that they are shameful of that. So the moment an element of their um, vulnerability comes out, they will come out in rage because that's the way that they have to control the situation. They don't have any other ways of dealing with um, a situation adaptively. Does that make sense? Yeah, and the reason why it's called like spiral, like shame rate spiral, isn't it, have I understood correctly that it's because that when they do then uh, go into this narcissistic rage or just huge rage, and in your situation, I don't know where was it, but it was it was in front of you. I don't know where the... It where was in you, a public place. Yeah, yeah, it. yeah, public, in public place. And then you mentioned the piece that they came back 
apologizing isn't it's because they maybe understand that oh this rage is very like unreasonable response to what actually happened and it again triggers their shame because they realize that their behavior their rage just uh, contradicted their grandiose self-perception as this you know balanced healthy admired person However, I would argue that uh, the, the spiral has got nothing to do with then their behavior afterwards coming to me because coming to me and then love bombing me and all of that is mm. not necessarily coming from a sense of shame that they are in touch with. Ah, uh, okay, okay. Right? Uh, because remember, they, they can't be vulnerable. They can't be inside openly vulnerable because that is too much for them to bear. So from a psychoanalytical perspective, we can say that, yep, this is the cycle that's uh, appearing. But we can't say that their intention behind coming to then apologize and do all the love bombing afterwards is coming from a sense of uh, regret, of apology, of genuine regret and genuine apology, because it is not genuine. They continuously and repeatedly repeat this cycle mm -hmm. yeah, again so and again and again. Mm -hmm. So it, it cannot be genuine. You know, if you're really sorry about something, you never do it again, ever. Yeah. So is it coming from a point of they trying to again portray themselves as this perfect person and get control over you and kind of... Be... Absolutely. It's okay. always, yeah, it's always about control. Now, so we can understand it from a psychoanalytical perspective. Yes, this is the shame rage spiral and this is how they go down and the down and the down. And we know that um, by the time narcissists are in their 50s, they're at their best because they've learned all the skills that they need to learn, Ooh. you know, from, from being. But of course, we know that when they're very weak, you know, when age, age nobody's going to beat age. You know, all of us are aging. Mm. They have to. They're, they're not going to be able to control that one. <laughs> so, so they will suffer at the end. But there we go. I hope that makes sense. You know, there is this uh, idea of the shame rate spiral, but I would argue against uh, sort of putting psycho, you know, trying to analyze everything psychologically if it means it leads to excusing their behavior. Mm, yeah. You do not want to, ex you know, there might be reasons for why the behavior is um, what the way it is. The shame rate spiral, the you know, the kind of nurturing they had, all of that, you know, the, the, the insecurity. You can explain uh, their behaviors, but it doesn't justify them. And I see many people trying to understand narcissists so that they can understand them better, so that they can make more room for their behavior. And I think all of that is quite dangerous. I've mm -hmm. been thinking of it. I've tried to make <laughs> sense of it and it just uh, backfired on me. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think like the only reason I, I agree totally that it's dangerous, but I think everyone who is like in the uh, situation trying to like make it sense of all, I hope it just uh, makes you understand how deeply rooted problem this is. And there is actually like, there's nothing you can do because yeah. even if they become self-aware and Last po in last podcast, you mentioned that you have helped and uh, treated people with NPD. Even when they have this self-awareness, it's really difficult, long and painful process. So you are probably, you are most likely dealing with the person 
who is not for, first of all having this one like crucial component which is the self-awareness so like i i hope that people use their education and knowledge about npd to like radically accept that you can't heal them and yeah it's very hard absolutely i would say uh always try to heal yourself try to listen to mm. your go within go within go within go within and the more you go within the more grounded you'll become and the more vibrant you'll become yeah, yeah. that's good way to end this question and move on to the next one which is I, I really like this one. It's how does the love bombing phase affect your perception of healthy relationships? Um, well, I'll tell you what happens um, with the love bombing phase. You know, with the love bombing phase, you tend to be put on a pedestal and, mm -hmm. uh, you know, you're thrown a lot of this uh, attention. But of course, it's not, it cannot last and uh, and then you've got the put downs. So you find that your relationship has got lots of ups and downs, lots of ups and downs, and you're always arguing and there's always making up and there's always arguing. There's a lot of drama. Yeah. And the thing is, you see, people think that uh, healthy relationships should always be really, really tough and really, really difficult to maintain. And... Uh, but just recognize that it shouldn't be this hard. You know, when you're in a relationship with somebody who has narcissistic traits, as I was, you know, I thought, surely, if I truly do this, 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 it's going to be okay. Mm -hmm. And you make room and you make room because you think, you know, the healthy relationship is where you're understanding, where you're empathetic of that person. And you realize, hey, I mean, this person never loved you. They're incapable of truly, genuinely loving because they themselves don't love themselves. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if you want to say, what's the best way to be aware of this is to recognize what is your level of saying, yes, relationships are not easy. There is the give and take. There are the difficulties that the difficult conversations to be had. You've got to step in an area where, where you are, you know, discussing things that you're uncomfortable about. That's all okay. Relationships are not supposed to be smooth sailing all the time. But there will be a limit and you will know your limit if you listen to your gut and you listen to your mental health and you say, I can handle this much. But this much and then my nerves are shot to complete nerves because, you know, you're just going, woo all of that you know they're completely frayed relationships should not be that difficult mm. and relationships with narcissists are extremely difficult yeah yeah i once heard that someone also uh, posted on facebook group that they said something along the lines that after the love bombing with a narcissist it felt amazing even though i know now that it was fake but now that I'm dating kind of healthy people, uh, the early stages of the relationship, they feel like flat. I, I don't know the word, like not as exciting because it's not the huge amount of admiration and, you know, attention, etc. So 
um, yeah, what would you say to a person who is like, well, everything is so like boring after the law bombing with the narcissist? Well, here's the thing. I can give you uh, an example from myself. Mm. When I was in uh, the narcissistic relationship, I had this love bombing and actually the being put on a pedestal for a very long time until then the devaluing started and the, then, you know, all of that over many, many years. However, if somebody asked me, and, and I used to say to people that, you know, on the optics, the optics of this relationship are always are looking fantastic, mm-hmm. right? You tick box, every, you know, everything looks, but why do I feel so unloved? Why do I genuinely feel absolutely unloved in this relationship, right? It's that gut that was telling me I don't feel loved, okay? Now, that was the love bombing was great. It was lovely. But at the same time, there was the other side of the coin where this is emptiness and this feeling of you're alone. Now, if you take the healthy relationship, for example, that I would say I'm in right now, mm-hmm. is there might not be any of this crazy amounts of drama but that inner sense of just knowing that you are loved that warmth that you get and that connection that you get that this person is going to be there for you come what may and they've shown themselves to be there for you come what may then you realize okay this is a beautiful warm feeling i would go for this feeling any day compared to this excitement that is just completely nerve-wracking and exhausting. Okay, great. That was a great answer. So, okay, yeah. Today we had some great questions and great answers, so I want to thank everyone for listening to this episode and thank you Daksha uh, once again for coming to this episode and answering all these questions. You're welcome and I look forward to speaking with you again. If you have enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review and share the episode with your friends and family. Have a wonderful rest of your day and see you in the next episode.